<laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. Well, it's been a while since we've put out an episode due to a couple of hurdles that pa- Patrick and I both have had to jump separately. Um, but for the next week or so, we're going to make up for it. Uh, the Nicholas Rogue episode is on its way, which Patrick did um, with our good friend Bill uh, Ackerman. And Patrick and I, along with uh, Regina, are all going to be discussing Wes Anderson, which is, I, I know, a favorite of our guest. Um, tease. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to offer up a special edition featuring sort of our uh, freelance festival correspondent and a favorite to the show. He's been writing for a number of, number of outlets and contributes to WGN on a weekly basis with the great Nick DiGiulio. Welcome back once again, Mr. Eric Childress. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming aboard here once again. Anytime. I always look forward to these uh, previews of things we can look forward to later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty much going to get right to it um, as we sort of delve into the good, the bad, and everything in between from a festival that I'm hoping to to attend either next year or the year after as sort of my... Um, uh, post-master's graduation present to myself. Um, I'm I'm very excited to talk about the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, so what was the experience like overall for you this time out, just like as a general, you know, more good than bad, or just the experience it, as a whole? It always seems to be right around the same amount of good to bad, and it's usually more disappointing than good. Um, but you know the, the movies that I choose, I you know I choose based on you know I, I start with you know a big huge list. It's usually around eighty or so movies, and then I have to whittle whittle that down to as you know as many as I can possibly fit into the schedule due to the with the press schedule, and then any tickets that I might be able to get for any public screenings and things like that, and just whatever you know just meshes its way into a sort of a feasible schedule that allows me to, you know, keep walking by the end of the day um, and not not pass out. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, I saw 39 movies and I liked 14 and that's that's been about sort of the the average that I usually play at Toronto. Um, that's 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 about right. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, throughout you know our discussions in the past with with festivals that you definitely come across uh, sort of like a batting average just like an average number of movies that were at least good and interesting mm-hmm. to talk about um you know whether if it's halfway or not i mean I, I think just the experience of seeing that many movies you know you're you're bound to come across a spectrum of good and bad and just okay so um, yeah, and I managed. And I managed to, you know, see nearly everything that I kind of wanted to see from my original list. I mean, the funny thing about a film, uh, any, any film festival, and particularly in Toronto, is that your schedule is going to change. You know, I mean, your schedule changes. You know, eighteen times before you even land <laughs> uh, in Toronto. But then you get there, and then you, you know, first couple days, you, know, you kind of stick to your schedule. But then you start to hear good buzz, bad buzz, and you try to find a way to fit other movies in or take other movies out. Um, and based on that good and bad buzz, uh, and uh, mostly, you know, a good part of the time that buzz is kind of on money. You know, it's, it's very, you know, I I think, some, well, sometimes I would say more 
time the bad buzz is usually on the nose than the sort of the the praise for certain titles. There, are, you know, anytime you get any uh, Midnight Madness film there and the audience is there hooting, hollering at midnight and having a great time, there's a good chance that they're going to be a little more enthusiastic for it than someone who's looking at it maybe a little more objectively. Yeah, um, I can understand that. But, you know, but it, it doesn't diminish the, the good time that they're having, but, you know, sometimes you know you see that buzz that night or the next morning and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, just like turn down the hyperbole a little bit that couldn't have been that great. And a couple times, it, it certainly wasn't this trip. Yeah, I can I can see that happening. I mean, it's just, and nowadays, especially with social media and checking Twitter, that's got to add something to the conversation where you're, you know, seeing other people's reactions, you know, when they hashtag TIFF or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That whole experience is, is probably added another level to attending a festival and interacting with people that way yeah learning, yeah. learning about what's to see and it's also really interesting that i mean i there, there are a couple of titles that you know maybe we'll get into maybe we won't um like there was one off the top of my head a very early on there were some really good reviews for and then when people that i knew personally got a chance to see the movie they thought it was one of the worst films at the festival um and and that and that happens uh, quite a bit not just with the midnight madness movies but you know sometimes you know some people get I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's them going to public screenings and they go, you know, they're there for the premiere with all the stars there. And they're, you know, I mean, it's like a standing ovation at a film festival is not <laughs> the rarest thing in the world. You know, people right. people love to write. It's like, oh, they got a standing ovation. Well, of course they did. They're sitting right in the middle of all the people and the people can stand up and give this person a standing ovation. You know, right. they they kind of like the movie. So, you know, stand ovations at film festivals don't really, you know, register, you know, the, the greatest praise in the world. Well, I even noticed that the Chicago International Film Festival, if the director is in attendance, uh-huh. <laughs> that weighs in heavily on the standing ovation factor at the at the end. Yeah, it's a lot it's a lot rarer when you have very little applause at a screening <laughs> when someone from the movie is in attendance. That's a rare thing. Yeah. Uh, and innovations, you know, there, I think there, there had to have been at least one every night. So. Yeah, no surprise. Go. I mean, speaking of, because I love to, I'm, I'm the king of the segue, as everybody knows on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of social media, I see that Jason Reitman is back. And yes. he's brought along a cast of many, including Adam Sandler. And I've been hearing mixed things about his latest, but hopefully it's a mm-hmm. step up from Labor Day, at least. I, But I mean, it was, when I was reading the synopsis and hearing about how this film is structured, it sounds a lot like the uh, Jason Bateman drama uh, Disconnect mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about Men, Women, and Children. <laughs> Well, remember that film that I just mentioned just a little while ago that I said got a lot of uh, a lot of praise early on, and then the people that I knew saw it said it was one of the worst films of the festival. Oh, almost telepathically you, here. You you picked it out, my friend. <laughs> you picked out the film that we're talking about. Um, and yeah, I mean, men, women, and children. I mean, it, you're right when you bring up disconnect because this is a film it's you know sort of it's an ensemble piece uh with you know involving a lot of different families and parents and children 
um, all going through, you know, in a modern era of, you know, how they communicate with one another, how social media, you know, affects one another, how, you know, putting yourself out there on social media can be a bad thing, um, how, you know, a parent played by Jennifer Garner, it, like, monitors every little thing that her daughter does online, even has some <laughs> sort of some some sort of device at home that allows her to get into her text messages and her Facebook page and all this stuff and like monitors it every single night before she goes to bed to make sure that she's not going getting herself into trouble. Wow. That's the sort of the level that this movie is operating at. So it's 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 really operating at the sort of extreme levels of like the worst case scenarios, but I mean, I, I, it's hard to even say what this movie was really going for because its observations are so base and uninteresting. <laughs> and it, if if Jason Reitman had not been attached to it, if his, you know, his name had not been anywhere near this film, you would have thought it was just some, you know, some really bad film on the film festival circuit. We see, you know, a, you know, a half dozen ensemble pieces, kind of like this, you know. Yeah. Th- throughout the year at the, the, on the festival circuit and I, w- I was stunned. I sat there kind of mouth agape at just how little insight there was into these worlds and then like, I mean like the Jennifer Garner character is so ridiculous uh, and then you got Adam Sandler and Rosemary DeWitt and they're married to each other but they're having they're having sexual problems so they go online to try to find an affair for you know themselves and so I'm just like, really? That this is where we're at, Jason? Like, th- this is you know, th- this is you know, your grand insight into you know the you know the online world. Um, you know, kids, you know, sending nude photos to each other and stuff like that. And I don't. I mean, I, I it was amazing to me. And 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 I say this, you know, as uh, uh, someone who really liked Labor Day. You know, so wow. I'm. I'm yeah, I'm in, you know, I, I, like two out of three people really didn't like Labor Day. I'm that third person. Um, it, Labor Day is a weird, a weird thing because there's like, like I said, there's like two out of three people really don't like it. And that third person really kind of likes it a lot, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought Labor Day was interesting, uh, much better than a lot of people gave it credit for. I really liked what Reitman was doing. And I love Winslet. And I thought well, yeah. it was really good. And, I mean, the pie was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but this one, I mean, I you know when you when you hear Jason Reitman has made you know something craptacular, you don't really believe it. Especially me coming off of Labor Day as the guy supporting that movie, and to go into this and just sit there and just like, you know, I I didn't even know. My first thought when I came out of the movie, I'm like, did did Reitman write this himself? And he needs either Diablo Cody or some source material. Yeah, that was the my first thought, and then I found out that it was actually based on some book. So apparently he found a really sh- crappy book. Um, I don't. Can you say the other word? Oh yeah, yeah. We, we got the real, explicit tag on iTunes. He found, okay, he found a really shitty book uh, <laughs> that just there's just there's absolutely there's nothing to wrap your head around uh, in this film. There's nothing funny. There's nothing dramatic. Um, and I, and I couldn't stop thinking of disconnect, which even though it sort of dealt with the sort of extremes of that world, did so in a far more realistic a far more uh, believably dramatic yeah. fashion, uh, even if it was, you know, some of the uh, techniques and whatnot were a little um, a little off. Um, I thought that was still a very solid movie. Like, Disconnect played at Toronto a few years ago, and Disconnect would have been precisely the kind of film I would have thought, 
or Men and Women Children was the kind of film that I thought Disconnect would have been two years ago. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And then Disconnect would have been the movie that Reitman would <laughs> might have made. Um, but he made this one. And so weird. And this one is so bad. Hmm. Well, that is disappointing to hear. I just, I don't know, tackling, you know, where we're at with technology, it just... I just imagine that it's probably going to be dated. In a, well, it is. I mean, what what left? What is you know that we? What do we not know about the sort of the, the digital world that he's going to tell us? Right. You know, we've we see the stories on the news every day. We, you know, we've seen disconnect. You know, you've seen. I mean, just anything that revolves around some version of any of these stories that he's trying to tell, and all of them have done so in a much more interesting fashion and sort of reducing them to the you know these little side stories and ensemble and look how this can, character connects with this and all these kind of things just none of it works none of it works well um i guess al- <laughs> along with the bottom <laughs> <laughs> along with um did you see the cobbler? Because that's the one that I thought too. Everybody's hating on. No, I didn't. And like, and again, this is a funny thing because when someone asked me what were like my three most anticipated films at uh, uh, Toronto this year, I believe my list was Foxcatcher, um, Electric Boogaloo, uh, and oh, The Cobbler. Yeah. Because I just like oh, like the, the Tom McCarthy. Yeah. Everything he's directed, I've liked you know quite a bit. Like, every single one, three and a half stars. I liked them all. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, he's doing a movie with Adam Sandler. This could be really interesting. And it's kind of fantasy-based. I'm like, oh, this, what what could we expect? Uh, and then oh. <laughs> um, Scott, Scott Tobias um, from the, the Dissolve, a colleague who was one of the first to jump on, jump on the men and women and children hate wagon, um, <laughs> then said about The Cobbler that The Cobbler was so bad... It wished uh, he wished that he could give every film he's ever seen an extra half star. <laughs> oh God! I mean, and I'm wow. just like, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna go out of my way now to see this, and so I took it off my schedule and I saw something else. Yeah, that poor Adam Sandler. Because I mean, I I thought, yeah, working with Tom McCarthy and Jason Reitman, he could, you know, not necessarily tap into what he did with Punch Drunk Love, but at least you know, bring some some kind of nuance and, you know, dramatic performance instead of his do stuff that he's... Yeah, well, in Men, Women, and Children, he's just kind of played like, okay, he's got a beard, so then I guess that means he's serious. <laughs> um, and he just he just kind of has that, 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 that sad face mm-hmm. on you know, his entire performance. And The Cobbler, I heard, was a lot of people compared it to Click. Oh, boy. Um, so... Well, that's not a re-endorsement. And again, I'm shocked to hear that Tom McCarthy would make something that awful. Me too. I mean, McCarthy and and Reitman, two directors who have really not let me down, um, too much anyway. Uh, And uh, yeah, they they both kind of laid an egg. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and just jump right to a movie that I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. But I believe it is number one on your list and it's a film called Spring. Yeah, this was the the biggest surprise at the festival. It was a film that based on the the premise um I was very intrigued for I was very looking very much looking forward to see to see if these guys could could pull it off. Um it's basically Luke Taylor Pucci plays um a uh, young man uh whose uh mother dies uh at the beginning of the film. 
Um, he doesn't really have much of a much of a family left. He's sort of you know in and out of relationships. Um, doesn't have you know the greatest job in the world, and basically sort of gets some advice. Just like just go oh, get away. Like take what whatever money you got and just get away from here for a while. Uh, and he he does. He, t- he takes you know what he's got and he goes to Italy. Um, and while he's in Italy, he ends up he gets a, like a job on a farm. He's hanging out with some you know other travelers you know at hostels and things like that. Uh, and then he meets uh, a young woman, and begins uh, a, a sort of a really interesting relationship with. She's sort of she's very forward at first, and then she's kind of standoffish. Uh, and he just continues to pursue her. She's an absolutely you know gorgeous girl. Uh, and uh, the two of them sort of, you know, begin this, you know, this sort of, you know, tug and pull kind of relationship um, that's actually sort of very believable and very uh, well, uh, well paced and well, uh, was beautifully acted between the two of them. Uh, but the twist in the movie, um, and it's really, you know, it's not a complete spoiler, uh, is that, uh, well, she's a monster. Oh. Yeah, so basically what you sort of have here is sort of before sunset with the monster. Meets my demon lover. Well, <laughs> you're, okay, that's funny that you bring that up, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But, um, no, I, I, I mean, I'm not just, you know, just because it's, you know, uh, two strangers meet in a foreign land immediately is going to be compared to before sunset. Um, but this is a film that actually deserves comparison with that movie on just the terms of quality. If you take out the monster mm. aspect of the movie, the movie holds up as a wonderfully written and, and really beautifully uh, acted romance between these two characters. Um, you throw the monster thing in, and it seems like, you know, it could you know be something that goes through the motions, you know exactly where it's going to go, um, but it, it doesn't. It's like the, the, the monster, for one, th- what, what she is, completely original. I've never mm. seen anything like it before in a movie, uh, and the way it's handled, and the way she handles, you know, exactly what's going on, uh, and it's it's a, a lot of it is kept from the audience for a good portion of the running time. You only get sort of fits and spurts of what she is or what she might be, uh, and then you know later in the movie that, <laughs> that she starts to sort of uh, let you in on on the secrets and everything. But uh, I, I make no apologies in saying that uh, how affected I was by this movie. And when I walked out, the fir- only thing I could think of was, was this is the best monster romance film that I've seen since David Cronenberg's The Fly. Wow, that's a bold statement. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, put the, I, I put it out there in the Twitter sphere. I'm like, please, you know, if, I, if this is too much hyperbole on my part, I completely understand. But please... You know, come up with anything since 1986 that would qualify as sort of a monster romance film that you would put on sort of that very small list. Um, and I and I said, don't mention my demon lover. Um, <laughs> so, um, which is on the long list, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it's who I'm trying to think. Of, like uh, a Colin, our friend Colin uh, mentioned uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yeah, which is, you know, that's I mean, I, I suppose that qualifies. You know, it's not necessarily a lovey dovey you know, romance, you know, between humans and, you know, whatnot, but it's, I mean, the the spirit of that there, so I, that's that's worthy of that list. Uh, I'm trying to blank on the other one. There was so, a horrible uh, Hal Hartley movie with uh, Sarah Pauly. Um, that, that, yes. God, 
I forgot what it was called, but he was a monster, and I don't know. Rob, I don't. I don't. Robert John Burke. Yeah. Played the monster. Right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. So, so that one's not on the list, but but this <laughs> one is, and I'm I'm not kidding when I when I say that the the monster stuff only just sort of accentuates what's so cool about this movie. I mean, I don't think Luke Taylor Pucci's ever been better. On yeah, I, I like I, that guy. I've, I, I've liked yeah, him since Thumbsucker. Yeah, and and he's. I mean, I think he he really inhabits uh, this character who's you know the, going through what he's going through with you know not having anyone. And well, this is a movie you're really going to dig. I think. I have a uh, feeling I yeah, will too. I, I really, I really do. Uh, and I really hope because uh, it, it's such a tough balance uh, to pull off this type of movie. Uh, because the monster stuff could be silly, it could be superfluous, especially considering how how t- terrifically put together the hmm. the dialogue and the actual the, the 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 courtship is between these these two characters. I, like everything about their relationship worked for me in in a, in a realistic three dimensional, even four dimensional kind of way. I I was struck with this movie. The whole way through, and I'm sitting there. You know, you, you get when you're watching a movie like this, you're almost sort of praying, like, please, you know, make it to the ending. Please don't, you know, make a false step here because you're doing great. It's it's like watching a baby take their first step. It's like, <laughs> keep going or get on a ride a bicycle for the first time. Yeah. Kid. It's like, keep going, keep going, and then all of a sudden they're doing it, and they're you know they don't need your help anymore, and you're just sitting there and just like, thank you for for what you've done because I I I can't. Can't, couldn't think of any other movie, uh, with the exception of The Fly, uh, that I think this movie uh, is worthy of. Wow! Is it? Uh, has it got distribution? Uh, not yet. Oh man! Not yet. I, I'm going I will do anything I possibly can uh, to get the word out for these guys. Uh, they, they did a film a few years ago called Resolution. Um, that uh, two guys in a cabin, uh, one of them in going through rehab, I believe. I, I didn't see it, but I know a lot of people really like that movie, hmm. um, and a lot of people referencing it at uh, the screening when they were, the two guys were introduced and whatnot. I'll but track that one down. That sounds I'm, interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and look at it because, the, like, when you see a great film like this with directors you're not too familiar with, the first thing you want to do is go back and revisit anything they've ever done. Yeah. You know, shorts, anything, and I want to, you know, want to see. I, so I'm gonna have to go back and look at Resolution now because Spring was it jumped to the top of my list the minute I saw it. This, I'm like, this is my favorite movie of the festival. I can't believe it. Wow, I'm I'm really excited to see this. It yeah. sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, um, let's see. I well, something that most people know by now is that I'm fascinated with psychology, and I know this film deals with psychological dissonance of sorts and. As someone who is always interested in, you know, watching a character question their sanity, I'm very intrigued based on the premise alone for a film called The Voices. It sounds ah. like weird, <laughs> wild stuff. Yeah, well, this is this film actually premiered at Sundance uh, this year, and I missed it there, um, and uh, heard, heard some good things about it. Uh, it was directed by uh, the woman who did uh, Persepolis. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, and it stars Ryan Reynolds as a sort of a shy guy in uh, a small small town. Uh, and he works at sort of a loading uh, loading dock factory. 
and uh, it has kind of a crush on uh, the girl at the from the office played by uh, Gemma Arterton. Can certainly understand that. Uh, and uh, the problem is, is that uh, when he goes home at night, um, he's got some people or he's got some voices living with him, uh, and they manifest themselves in his pets, his dog, uh, who's <laughs> his very sympathetic uh, dog, and uh, his cat, uh, his very aggressive cat who sounds like Craig Ferguson. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so this is what happens when Ryan Reynolds' character goes off the meds. Uh, mm. And uh, when people go off the meds in movies like this, you know, things tend to get a little you know goofy uh and that's you know i don't want to spoil too much about uh what goes on but uh you know things you know going off the meds is more than just a a sane in this movie um the way they sort of portray uh this his sort of the art direction his surroundings on the meds off the meds i think is really is really Mm -hmm. well done really interesting um and uh the movie also stars anna kendrick as the other girl in the office uh, and, and she plays the girl that has the crush on him that he's not quite noticing because he's too stuck on Gemma Arterton's character. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a movie that, you know, he, he wants to try to normal himself. He's got some past traumas that have sort of led to these problems in his life. Uh, and they begin to sort of spiral out of control the longer uh, he sort of keep, continues to listen to uh, his cat and his dog. Uh you know, for, for better or worse, uh, I like this movie. I, I thought this movie uh, was not just fun uh, in sort of the, the goofy way that you expect uh, for the first half, but then the movie actually, you know, has the guts to actually sort of take the illness seriously enough. Mm. You know, it's sort of you know to not just sort of dismiss or make fun of the situation. I mean, the stuff that the cats and the dogs say is you know always you know pretty funny. Um, but there's actually kind of a sort of an underlying sadness about this movie, and you really start to, you know, to sympathize uh, with his plight um, and where he's come from and where he's now going, um, and uh, and it was re- that was sort of the element of it that really sort of grabbed me. It's like I was really enjoying myself as sort of just a goofy uh, one-off experience. And Ryan Reynolds, I don't, I, I can't think of a performance he's given that's better. Maybe you can help me out. What what is Ryan Reynolds' greatest performance? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's that I, small list, maybe, but yeah, he was all right I, in Adventure Time, I guess, but that was a very small role. Adventureland. Oh yeah, Adventureland. Adventureland. Okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Adventureland. I always I always um, confuse the two. <laughs> easy, easy to do. Um, yeah, no, he's he's good. At, he's good in Adventureland. Uh, but no, this I think this is his best uh, performance as uh, a leading man. Uh, and nice. uh, he he really. He under he really underplays it, um, but you know, still with you know, sort of enough charm and whatnot to sort of you know, sort of grab you and keep you on his side, even when he's you know doing some terrible things in the movie. Um, and yeah, this is I'm I know this has been picked up. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been put out there yet. Maybe we'll see this in the spring. Uh, but it's one hmm. worth catching up for. It, it's it's a it's a really uh, a neat little film. You know, speaking of actors that I'm. You know, uh, didn't think too highly of it at first, but um, you know, Channing Tatum has gone on to really impress me over time. And well, ever since Moneyball, I've been anticipating to see what Ben Miller was going to do next. And with the cast like we like the one we have here for Foxcatcher, it's easily high up on my list 
because uh, I'm excited to see Steve Carell in a whole different light, and it's based on a very interesting true story. So um, I'm assuming it's good. Yeah, you should be excited yeah. for this one. Uh, this is certainly one of my favorite films of the festival. Um, uh, maybe maybe not quite as much as Moneyball, but I think there's a film on on even on further viewings is going to can can, can only gain strength hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, people who don't know this is the story of uh, John Dupont and the Schultz brothers. The Schultz brothers were uh, Olympic wrestlers. Um, we're sort of in between Olympics uh, in 86, 87. And uh, John DuPont uh, was sort of the eccentric uh, billionaire. I uh, was played by Steve Carell, who invites uh, uh, Dave Schultz, played by Channing Tatum, to come onto his, you know, his, his estate and sort of live on his, uh, his ranch to train and to get put together uh, basically a, a wrestling team for the forthcoming Olympics in Seoul, Korea. Uh, and Channing Tatum's character is sort of, you know, if between the two brothers, Mark Ruffalo plays uh, his older brother, Mark Schultz, and the two of them together are sort of like the master blaster of wrestlers. <laughs> you know, there's one, you know, they're, they're both yeah. wrestlers, but Channing Tatum's character is definitely more the, the brawn, and Mark Ruffalo's character is definitely more of the teacher. Mm-hmm. So Channing Tatum is sort of the, the teacher on the ranch, is not exactly the, the best fit in the world, though. You know, damn if he doesn't try really hard to, you know, basically to sort of get out of the shadow of his brother, and that's what this uh, one of one of the many themes running throughout this movie is. You have these two characters played by Carell and Tatum, who are living under the shadow of great, the greatness that's mostly been formed by someone else in their family. Uh, yeah. You have David, David's uh, older brother, Mark very soft-spoken, very much looking out for his brother, has nothing but the best intentions for his brother, uh, but he is the guy that people would rather go to, you know, than him. Mm-hmm. He's, the, you know, he's, he's, the also, he's the other brother, basically. And Steve Carell's John DuPont um, is under the sort of the, the thumb of his mother. His mother is, you know, kind of not really approving of anything he's ever done and certainly not very approving of the wrestling thing. She's played by Vanessa Redgrave in a, just a very a few scenes, but scenes that nevertheless create that, that impact that Bennett Miller is trying to get between the parallel uh, of these two characters. Uh, but there's also a film about the sort of uh, that the the, theme, the main thing that I think Miller has explored through his other movies, which is the sort of the um, the exploitation of of the class system in a way, and sort of you know hmm. find, finding a way like you know Capote, you know, was about you know the, you know the famous Truman Capote, you know, exploiting the, you know the, the prisoners for you know, this book that he's writing. Uh, Brad Pitt's Billy Bean is sort of exploiting. Uh, the sort of the, the 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 class system of baseball and trying to trying to find an edge, you know, sort of the a, in a reverse way of trying to find a way uh, inside, you know, uh, you know the, the the way that the, the baseball has be, had become a class system and remains a class system through the way that some uh, uh, teams are richer than others and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And here you have, you know, Steve Carell, his this billionaire using these, you know, these sort of, you know. Lower middle class wrestlers almost um, to sort of exploit his own sort of idea of what America should be. You know, the, the <laughs> fact that, you know, America, you know, needs to win 
in the Olympics. The sort of you know, it's almost like he's you know he's watched a miracle one too many times. <laughs> you know, it's like America needs to be this. America needs to be on top. We need to be sort of setting the standard and whatnot. Uh, and it's a, that's a really interesting sort of thing. When you see yeah. that, you know, when you consider, you know, what goes on with, you know, Republicans, Tea Party, oh, well, yeah. Politically stuff like speaking, that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, you know, rings true, uh, and all that stuff comes out, and 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 Miller just lets it lets it evolve, you know, sort of organically. You know, this is a movie. It's a very cold movie. Uh, there's not a whole lot of emotions on display, uh, with the exception of sort of very cold anger mm-hmm. uh, and frustration. Um, it's it's you know it's a it, it movie has it had definitely has humor in it um but uh you know sometimes some very uncomfortable humor um Carell is terrific in as John Dupont uh, Mark Ruffalo uh, is just as good as Mark Schultz both of them probably certain nominees I'm I'm expecting yeah uh, but the performance of this movie I gotta say is Channing Tatum wow. Channing Tatum kind of owns this movie. I mean, Carell is doing, you know, this really interesting work behind this makeup. Tatum is doing it with his face. You know, hmm. Tatum is is, you know, the masking this 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 pain uh and this, you know, you can almost see him his face almost evolving like like his skull wants to come out of his head that how badly he wants to impress this guy and how badly he wants to win. Uh, and it's it's really you know there's a again like that's another movie with a, a real sort of sadness uh, running through it. Um, and if you don't know you know what happens you know to these guys, if you don't know you know the the, the true story, um, try not try to go in uh, not knowing too much about it. Don't go to the Wikipedia pages. Uh, don't look these guys up uh, because the the the, un- the underlying tragedy that befalls these guys uh, is all the more uh, apparent when you go through uh, th- this journey that that Miller takes us on. Well, I don't know the outcome, and I'm not going to research it. I'm good. Really anticipating this, and I, I like the idea that the, the it has less heightened emotions because even it's not necessarily biopic, but just slices of of life tend to, you know, uh, just rely on ways to get the audience to feel an emotion at a certain time Mm -hmm. that always, always rubs me the wrong way. Even, even when I like a biopic, even something like walk the line or whatever, I, I always scoff a little bit like, well, they're doing the same thing that they do in every biopic or every, you know, true story depiction. And this sounds like it, it downplays it a little bit more. To where oh, it really downplays it. I mean, okay. I think Russell Ruffalo's performance is where the closest uh, things come to really sort of expressing a sort of you know a more heightened emotion. Mm-hmm. You just you, you almost like Ruffalo is almost the character. It's like Tatum is all sort of muscle and wanting to please, and but not, doesn't know how to almost doesn't know how to show his emotions. Ruffalo is the guy that you know you could tell his heart is almost beating on his sleeve. Almost like they're like he, everything he does in the movie, he does for his brother, or he does you know f- you know to appease his employer, basically. Um, and just and, and it, it's, it's all the more heartbreaking when uh, everything you know the way, every, the way everything sort of plays out in the film. Well, from something that gosh, this also seems like the festival of the one word title, <laughs> um, but uh, a movie I haven't heard too much about. I think it played at, uh, at the, the Cannes Film Festival, and oh man, 
Mommy, what is this? Um, oh, yes. One, one review uh, says that this is what we need to talk about Kevin wished it could be. So that's got me intrigued. That's a, that's a film I certainly thought of uh, while watching this film. Hmm. And uh, I, I have to say, I'm not, a, I'm not too familiar with uh, Xavier Dolan's uh, filmography. Neither I, am I. I I'm, I'm aware uh, that he's, he's garnered a lot of acclaim over the last few years. He's, every, every one of his films has, play, has played Toronto. Uh, and uh, I know he's a film, I think his last one was called Lawrence Anyways. I know some people like that. Tom of the Farm is another film. Uh, that I haven't seen, I, I and I think I saw Heartbeats, but I don't remember. <laughs> like I think it played Chicago Film Festival, and I think I saw it, but yeah, I, it sounds I, familiar. I, yeah, someone told me it was a musical, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know, maybe I saw a different Heartbeats then. Um, but no, Mommy is a story. Um, uh, hmm, where do we begin with this? Okay, mother played by uh, Andervall, um, her son her teenage son has got uh sort of uh real mood swing issues um so much so that she can't even uh handle him always on a daily basis he's mm-hmm. actually been um sort of you know not necessarily a mental institution but you know sort of a, a place that can handle you know troubled children like that um he's, he's very you know volatile he's very high strung um he likes to yell a lot likes to you know you know hit things all all these kind of things um, and uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's basically being thrown out of his late, latest institution for an incident. Uh, so his mom comes to, to pick him up and brings him back home, uh, and thus begins their sort of <laughs> their sort of volatile relationship. As the mother does, you know, at the best she can to sort of appease him, while not necessarily catering to his every demand. She's not afraid to yell at him or to, you know, to call him on the carpet for doing, you know, crappy things. Uh, (laughs) But that only makes the the relationship even more tenser because, you know, the the son can't necessarily, uh, you know, handle the sort of criticism and he, you know, thinks he's being, you know, targeted and all these kind of things. The, the, The pathology of that and the psychology of that, it was probably, you know, even greater intensified by people who actually know a little bit about psychology um, because it all seemed very very realistic to me mm-hmm. uh, and so through the course of the, uh, him being home again uh, the, he, there's a, uh, a, a teacher uh, across the street who has been let go uh, by her uh, own institution for some reason uh, and uh, since now the, the, the boy has to be homeschooled uh, she actually, the mother develops this friendship with the teacher and gets her to uh, come over to homeschool the kid uh, and becomes this this friendship that develops between these three characters uh, for, for better and for worse. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's all about, you know, motherhood. It, it really is this, this really sort of uh, funny and uh, beautiful and horrific uh, tale of, you know, mothering a child who just is not you know is just not going to listen really and the sort of the the way that Dolan uh begins to sort of find peace uh with you know with the teenager uh he does so in some really beautiful ways throughout the movie mm. um and actually I mean he he's using sort of he actually uses sort of maybe what some people might call chintzy American pop songs 
Um, and I'm gonna, and I'm telling you something. The next time someone gets on like Zemeckis's ass or you know some <laughs> other filmmaker for using some sort of song where the lyrics you know exactly hammer home the point. You know, mm-hmm. the, they're trying to, or the, you know, even in an ironic sense, I'm going to make sure to remember, it's like, oh, well, you really like Mommy, okay? <laughs> because, I mean, they're just, they're, I mean, like, this, the, the movie begins with um, uh, Sarah McLaughlin's Building a Mystery, and, and there's a very, there's a, there's a beautiful, um, I, I, I dare I say, a beautiful segment uh, set to Dido's White Flag. Wow. Okay? So I'm, I'm telling you, and, like, I'm sitting there, and, like, the, 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 the like white flag has like become like a favorite song of mine since the the sequence because the sequence oh, set to it the montage and, and I'm talking like the whole song too I'm not talking about a chorus or a refrain I'm talking about like the whole song Plays I feel like based song. on those two choices I should be shopping at Meyer because that's those are like <laughs> two songs I always hear yeah Meyer. I'm sitting there just like you know I'm just like I bet I'm the only one in the theater actually has those two songs on his iPod <laughs> um, but anyway because um, I got a lot of songs on my iPod but whatever. Um, but no, the movie, you know, based on, you know, seeing this again, here's another reason I want to go back and revisit his filmography. I want to see where mm. this guy came from, uh, to craft something that's really so, so beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, and the performance by, uh, I mean, all the, the three uh, performances are all good. Um, there's a scene between the teenager and the, the teacher, uh, about, about, hour into the movie that is that is just a knockout an absolute knockout of a scene that i'm almost surprised didn't draw pl- applause from the hmm. theater maybe maybe because there, there it's it's so tense uh and the sort of the outcome of it is sort of you know not exactly cheer worthy um but I, I i sort of gave like a silent applause to it uh and that sort of sets off uh the sort of the uh, the, for, you know, it, it furthers the relationship. It puts the two of them on sort of an even ground. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, that uh, really sort of plays off to the to, uh, to the bitter end. And hmm. I will say this though, um, Dolan does borrow a uh, a key part of his climax from. I don't want to say what movie because I don't want to spoil what it is. Hmm. But he 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 steals it from a, a really terrific movie. From the past, from this century, we'll just, <laughs> okay. we'll just I, I don't, again, I don't want to narrow it down too much. I'll just say that uh, some of us think it's the, the this particular director's best movie, okay. and he takes. He, I mean, uh, the the moment he was doing this climax, I'm just like, oh, he's doing this ending, like oh, mm. and it's not necessarily the ending, but the sort of the climax, the you know, the real sort of emotional climax for the movie. Uh, he pretty liberally borrows. The, the format from this other uh, director's film. But that, you know, but it still works. It's, it still works beautifully. Uh, and at the end of the movie, you know, I'm sitting down, you know, walking through the street, you know, you know humming my white flag, for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> so, so any movie that could make me hum Dido through the streets of Toronto must be pretty interesting. Uh, so, yeah, Mommy, uh, a really terrific film, just entered into this year's uh, Academy Award race. Ooh, okay. Uh, by, uh, is a, the, it apparently just became the official entry for uh, Canada. Uh, so whether or not it gets released, the roadside attractions, I believe, has it stateside. So if they get the movie out into theaters, or at least for whatever qualifying run it needs, uh, and the, because, partially because the field is a little weaker, uh, and Dorval could get attention uh, and be the, sort of that wild card foreign candidate, 
that we see sometimes in, mm-hmm. in the leading actor races. Um, very, very much could happen. Cool. Another one I'm hotly anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, let's change it up and talk a little horror here. Cause, All right. Um, I know you saw this and described it on WGN in a way that made me kind of curious. <laughs> um, it's a movie that breaks away from the one-word titles and goes for two. It Follows! Yeah. What's that all about? It Follows. Okay, it stars uh, Mike, Micah Monroe, who is in uh, The Bling Ring, and uh, she's in The, the Guest. Uh, oh, the yeah. I'm, I'm, boy, everybody's raving about that one. Yeah, that's a good good film. Third act of The Guest, a uh, little too standard for my taste. Uh, but everything everything leading up to that is more than enough to to recommend it. Um, cool. But but no, but the Micah Monroe uh, stars in this movie and uh, plays plays a teenage girl uh, meets a you know hunky guy and whatnot and they you know they go out on a date and whatnot and, and uh, well they, you know then they're gonna have the sex uh, and uh, they have the sex and uh, <laughs> next thing you know he's going into his trunk and he's uh, chloroforming her oh no you know like you do your typical first date movie in chloroform you know we've all been there <laughs> uh, and uh, so things you know in, in many respects things are not going great like we've seen you know movies like this before we headed into sort of a torture porn type scenario some sort of captivity uh, scenario well you know when she's strapped to a chair in her bra and panties uh, and he's, you know, standing above her, you know, we're like, oh boy, where is this going? But let me tell you where this movie's going. Hmm. Uh, the boyfriend then tells her uh, a little tale and tells her why he's actually done this to her. Because apparently through the act of the intercourse that they had, uh, he has passed along some sort of curse or something to her through the act of the making love. Okay, Whoa. and what what happens is is that something manifests itself into some form that the the person who owns it now is familiar with. Could be your best friend, could be your father, you know, just, just someone. And next thing you know, that person is just walking towards you, following you wherever you go. And the only thing you can you have to do is don't let it touch you. Whoa. Okay. Huh. It sounds like if John Carpenter directed the f- first act of Upstream Color. That's not bad. There is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, certainly Carpenter-esque uh, feel to it, especially hmm. you know when you get into these sort of these these following moments and whatnot. But there's a catch: is that she can get rid of the curse. All she has to do is have sex with someone else. Oh man. Okay, so you want to talk about the psychology of something <laughs> yeah. like this? Um, you have all of this stuff in there, and this sort of this, you know, almost like a, you know STD type yeah. metaphor, obviously uh, thrust into uh, you know sort of a really interesting horror movie. And uh, I, I don't think all of it works, um, mainly because the movie does you know follow on the the one major sort of horror horror cliche is that the, the kids in the movie. Uh, are they're they're stupid sometimes? You know they're not they're not stupid overall. They just they're stupid in the moment that they shouldn't be stupid. Like when you know there's there's there are things you know that they discover about the the the, the bean or whatever you know whatever this is that's following them. <coughs> then they discover how they let's say can't defeat them. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but then in the big climax, they're doing exactly that all over again. I'm like, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, as cool as this finale is, which is the best swimming pool finale since Let the Right One In. Or um, Swim Fan. Or, or Swim Fan, of course. Um, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, this is, there's really cool stuff going on here, but, but why are you doing this? Because you clearly know this doesn't work. Hmm. Like, I didn't, like, I didn't quite, <clears throat> the setup of the, the climax is sort of like, well... I don't know why you came up with that idea because you know that's not going to work. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I didn't walk out of the movie uh, not just freaked out in a few moments. <clears throat> and I think that some of the the horror elements certainly work throughout the movie. And, you know, God forbid, I walked out of the, the theater <coughs> excuse me, uh, thinking about the movie. Mm. You know, how often can you say that about a horror movie? That's true, but... Um... This this is actually shot up for me because I just looked at the uh, other what the what this director has done before. I'm a huge both Patrick and I actually loved the myth of the American sleepover. Did you ever see that? I I did. This is the same director. Yeah. Oh, that's why someone was comparing it to that movie. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes sense. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm really excited for this then because I, I, I liked Myth American Sleepover a lot. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, very cool. Well, let's just do a few more here, because um, you got to make an appearance over at uh, Nick's show as well. Soon, yes. Yeah, um, there's no question that I'm anticipating a film that sounds... I don't know if necessarily stylistically it's been compared to Drive, but it does have a Zodiac quality to it, mm-hmm. uh, and not just because of who's starring in it, but right. uh, I, I do think Jake Gyllenhaal has been making some very interesting choices lately, particularly with uh, Enemy and Prisoners. Mm. So um, tell me a little bit about Nightcrawler. Okay. Uh, well, Nightcrawler, the stars Jake Gyllenhaal as, uh, you know, I'd best be described as sort of a, uh, lo- not I won't say lonely, but he's definitely a sociopath. Um, but a sociopath okay. who's read way too many books on how to get ahead in life, mm. and he's sort of the guy that sort of memorized uh, those those sort of books, and he's looking for a job opportunity that will allow him to sort of put these things into motion. You know, he, I mean, he's sort of he's kind of a petty thief uh, when we first meet him, uh, and then he stumbles upon uh, as he drives around at night. Uh, stumbles upon uh, an accident scene that's actually now uh, the cops and the ambulance are on the scene uh, but the next people on the scene are the people with the cameras Uh, and specifically uh, Bill Paxton's character who is one of these guys that chases down accident scenes uh, and anything involving the cops that he can then sell his footage to news outlets okay so so Jake Gyllenhaal's character gets himself uh, a really sort of cheap camera and a police scanner, and starts, you know, scouring, you know, I, I, I think the movie's set in Los Angeles, uh, scouring, you know, the, the, the evening, <laughs> you know, the evening's uh, worst uh, fatalities and accidents, uh, trying to get his own, uh, his, his own stuff on the air. And he manages to do that uh, thanks to uh, sort of a, a lowly uh, cable station uh, that's uh, produced by Rene Russo. Uh, and he uh, developed. Where's she in, been? Uh, Thor. <laughs> oh, she okay. In, she was in Thor. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there you go. Uh, but no, she's she's actually got a pretty meaty role uh, in the film as the, the 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 television producer, who more and more obviously you know 
increasingly doesn't really care exactly what gets on the air. Mm-hmm. So, so while the movie might veer in that direction in a way that's just going to be another of these movies about you know the morality of what we show on, on you know how you know how far is the news really willing to go in this day and age and that kind of stuff. The movie is very much more is is much more about Gyllenhaal's character uh, and the, the the lifestyle that he gets himself into because Gyllenhaal's character in this movie is absolutely fascinating and it's one of the best performances that Gyllenhaal's ever given. Uh, really, you know, fast talking, uh, sharp, uh, creepy. He's he's got this sort of this. He's lost uh, a bit of weight for the role, and he's very gaunt. So he has this really hmm. sort of almost creepy serial killer like look to him, in a way. Um, and you you see him, you know, veering off, you know, any at any point during the movie, and you know, going that direction as well. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, obviously, but. Uh, the, the more and more uh, he's able to sort of acclimate himself into this this uh, you know nightlife, uh, he gets himself uh, a sort of an intern uh, partner, if you will. Uh, play, um, the actor's name is uh, I'm drawing a blank, but I believe he was the lead actor in Four Lions. Oh, yeah, he plays this sort of like his intern partner um, okay. who's unemployed, and he, he he manages to you know find a way to exploit this guy uh, and put him put him in all these dangerous situations uh, and whatnot. And this is it's a really unique and original sort of crime story that's not necessarily about any one particular crime like a Zodiac or something like that, or even even prisoners, um, <clears throat> but it's really sort of about this, the sort of the sprawling nature of not just where we go with the, the news footage, uh, but just how far that you know, the, the news people are willing to insert themselves into the story. You know, it goes back to the old great Albert Brooks quote from Broadcast News. Let's not forget, we're the really real story, not them. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what this movie kind of is about, while at the same time being a pretty intense thriller that's anchored by Hall's always hypnotic performance. Uh, I, I really hope that he gets some Oscar attention uh, at the end of the year, because it's really one of the best performances of the year. Nice. Now this totally sounds up my alley. I'm really excited yeah. for it. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, and it, and it's it's fast moving uh, and it's beautifully shot. Um, it really it, it recalls the sort of those Michael Mann type crime yeah, stories. Yeah, totally. And not not so much Drive. You know, so much is not so. You know, sort of you know noir uh, or like neon like noir that Drive mm-hmm. kind of was. Uh, this this one is you know more in the lines of you know some of the other Michael Mann films um, but much more than anything Michael Mann's done in quite a while um, but no Nightcrawler is it's pretty great excellent um, we'll in the to... debut the directorial debut of Dan Gilroy oh right yeah yeah Tony Gilroy is uh, his brother and you know he's directed a few movies now this is his directorial debut uh, and it's uh, it's quite the debut Terrific. That's just I, when I was hearing people talk about this one and the guest, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to have like kind of like a revisionist, uh, you know, interpretation of the movies that I grew up watching on VHS or whatever." Mm-hmm. And I know the guest sort of falls along that line, almost in a House of the Devil kind of way, but <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Nightcrawler. It just sounds. Because I, I I just love those types of films and yeah no you're really gonna dig it yeah <clears throat> um I also really enjoy 
expedition films, um, going out on crazy adventures. Um, and I mean, this does sound a little bit more conventional, um, and it's from the director of Café de Flor, which is a film I loved, and last year's Dallas Buyers Club, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a while since Reese Witherspoon, I think, has starred in anything noteworthy. And like I said, I'm I'm a sucker for a wilderness story along uh-huh. the lines of like Into the Wild or Walkabout. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me about Wild. Okay. Uh, well, this is it's based on a, a true story, a uh, memoir uh, by a woman who uh, dubbed herself or sort of renamed herself Cheryl Strayed. Uh, and uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of sort of world wordplay <laughs> involved in this uh, because she strays from the path, see? Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, so she plays a, a woman who has had uh, some uh, tragedies in her family, uh, and uh, those tragedies led her to uh to to, to in, engage in infidelity and tear apart her marriage um her relationship mm. with her brother her brother is strained uh and uh she sort of you know she gets to a point you know she gets to that sort of that rock bottom point and she figures that one way to sort of you know i guess to get her way back on the path is to sort of reflect upon uh what you know how she's gotten to this point by walking the pacific coast trail the pct as it's referred to, uh, which is a 1,200-mile mi- trek on foot from, uh, from Mexico to Canada through California. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so, you, so you have one of these movies about, you know, someone who's going, you basically, you know, Forrest Gump their way to a race in the pain. You know, Forrest Gump, you know, ran across the country. She's going to walk across the country. Um, and movies like this, you know, I'm always very skeptical about <laughs> anyone who has to, you know, walk, you know, walk the pain away, so to speak. You know, it's like really that's that's what's going to, you know, heal you and make you a better person. Um, yeah. But p- part of the strength of this movie, and it's a film that I find has a lot of strength, um, is the manner in which they present her story in that we don't just get the sort of the setup and then the, the, the trek. Okay, and uh, one another one of my criticisms about this, and one of my main criticisms of the movie Tracks that's in theaters right now at Mia Wasikowska, um, is that the journey itself is never it it, it it like the like the greatest like foot journey I think ever, maybe ever portrayed on film is in Lawrence of Arabia oh, when yeah. or, you know Lawrence and him you know and the you know the, has to get across the desert and you know the, the culmination of that scene I don't think and that's you know 15 20 minutes whatever that is um and some movies can't muster up that sort of that power in 2 hours mm-hmm. okay and this movie tracks uh certainly does and it's one of my my one of my big problems with that movie um but wild uh they manage they they break up the story and that's so we get her walking across the track and we get her sort of, you know, both comical and dangerous, uh, you know, portion of the track. It's not like she's, you know, walking through the, the, the most rugged, dangerous territory in the world kind of thing. It's a it's a trail. It's, mm-hmm. You know, hike, hikers do this. It's a grueling trail. It's eleven hundred miles. And people, you know, do it because they're they're crazy, I guess. <laughs> I don't I don't understand. I don't understand people who walk or camp. I don't get it. I don't whatever. They all more power to you. You don't understand people who walk. I understand. I don't, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, camp, camping is the dumbest thing in the world. You know, unless there's an apocalypse and you have no more home, 
camping is stupid. Either I've said <laughs> it. Okay. Um, so, so my my skepticism level is very high when it comes to stories like this, uh, especially people who put themselves specifically in possibly dangerous situations into the wild like, in well into the wild that guy was just a douchebag yeah well. okay so that's you know I'm, I'm like like 127 hours is you know a film that you know if i if it was done poorly i would have hated it because this guy that you know, you know whatever you know, i don't want to get into that but i love 100 i love 127 hours yeah. but uh the way that they, they, they present their, her story and uh going back to you know what led her uh, up to this point, uh, her mother in the film is played by Laura Dern. Uh, so you have her mother in the film who is diagnosed with cancer, and that's you know sort of you know sort of the catalyst that's sort of leading her to where she is going to be you know sort of stray herself uh, from the path, <clears throat> and uh, you know the, the love she had for her mom uh, and the mistakes she had, uh, she, you know she did when you know she did have cancer and maybe not paying as much attention to her sometimes uh the sort of the regrets that a character like this has and then finding that 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 balance between that and the, the this, this track and sort of the you know overcoming uh the, the overwhelming odds of you know why anyone would even want to make this track <laughs> um and i think witherspoon who we don't forget she was in mud so oh, she, that's she, right. Yeah, she, she wasn't that smaller mm-hmm. role, but uh, but she hasn't had a leading role like this in quite a while, um, and that's probably why she is probably now the favorite to win Best Actress right now. Um, unless, really? unless, yeah, I think uh, unless you know, there, there's some talk about Julianne Moore in this film called Still Alice, where she plays uh, some somewhat the uh, onset of Alzheimer's. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, and there's yeah, got a lot. She of probably won't be. She probably won't be nominated for Maps to the Stars. <laughs> well, the, well, uh, well, that film's coming out next year, so she she won't uh, be nominated yes. for that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but no, I think I think that uh, she Reese is going to be the favorite uh, to win again hmm. uh, for this performance, uh, and I think deservedly so. I think it's, it's it's the best thing she's done in a while. I really think that uh, the, the film really does have an emotional core that actually that found me you know a, a movie that i was not expecting to find and a lot of that is due to um not just reese's performance but also laura dern's performance which who i think is has a shot at a supporting actress nomination uh for this movie um yeah i i this was my second favorite film of the festival it really kind of snuck up on me i wasn't really expecting a whole lot from it because i, I saw tracks last year at toronto and really kind of hated that um, but this one I didn't. I think this one has that sort of uh, finds the balance between the humanity and the peril uh, that she puts herself in, uh, while not sort of condescending uh, to either of them. Or you know, it doesn't necessarily mean she's a better person by the end of her trek. Um, but you sort of applaud the effort, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, it's not you know you can forgive her. Or not forgive her, that's up to you. It's not a movie that's really asking for her forgiveness or saying that what she does is for everybody or she even earns your forgiveness. Uh, but no, I th- the, the film really, uh, really worked for me. Awesome. Yeah, I just, again, the, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's a matter of like living vicariously. Like part of me would love to just drop out and <laughs> do something like this, but it, it's almost the Lost in America thing. Where right. I, I would, it'd be so great to get away from technology and just live in a cabin in the woods, or you know, just read books all the time, or go on a huge like I've always said, 
maybe one day I will backpack through Europe or something. <laughs> but then I realized, eh, wishful thinking at this point. Well, you, you might you could backpack through Europe and meet a beautiful monster. That's true. You oh, know, man, now you've given me hope. I have. Uh, let's talk two more real quick, and okay. I, one's a documentary, and one stars Bill Murray. Okay. <laughs> Both I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go with Electric Boogaloo first. Yes, the wild, untold story of Canon Films. Yeah, baby. Um, anyone, anyone in our generation mm-hmm. uh, grew up in some form with Canon Films. I mean, Can- Canon Films was is one of those. It, it's a studio that almost represented the '80s. You know, very much. You know, sort of the, the not, all the excess. Um, all you know, crappy movie making. Sometimes <laughs> um, it was. I mean, I th- there's probably no greater metaphor for the 1980s than the the existence of Canon Films, um, and sort of it. You know, it's not so humble beginnings to its less than humble uh, sort of shortcomings at the very end uh, as it started to fall apart. Um, but this is a film that lovingly you know embraces that nostalgia. Uh, the guy who did the movie uh, done <clears throat> a couple other. Uh, notable uh, documentaries, very much like this. He did a film called Not Quite Hollywood. Oh, That's yeah. about about the Australian, uh, mm-hmm. the, the crazy Australian film scene, which is a lot of fun. Right. Uh, and this this film very much, and another film called Machete Maidens Unleashed that I, I've yet to catch up with. Um, but if you like Not Quite Hollywood, then this is right. This is right up your alley um, because Sweet. it takes you through a you know. A, there's very very few stones are left unturned in the canon filmography. In this like, if you know, I have had people, you know, come up to me afterwards, like, did they talk about this film? Did they talk about this film? And like, eighty percent of the ones they asked me about are in the movie and get more than just sort of a, a, a mild clip. There's discussion of the movie and you know, people that were behind the scenes, some of the filmmakers, some of the actors. Obviously, the break-in movies are talked about quite a bit. There was one of the, you know one of their greatest successes up until you know sort of the the end of the era basically when canon almost tried to play with the big boys a little bit and paid sylvester stallone 12 and a half million dollars for over the top oh my god yeah yeah that was sort of the beginning of the end of canon films and it sort of culminated it was like a trilogy of expensive productions that started with over the top and went into superman 4 and ended (sighs) with masters of the universe Right. So there's, I mean, and and again, it's just the movie is just fun. The way the movie is edited, um, there's a lot of you know stuff with Chuck Norris and there's a lot of Charles Bronson <laughs> in it, and the the insanity that was going on during the Death Wish movies is just crazy, um, <clears throat> and it's just fun. I mean, it it is a, it is a nostalgia trip, uh, an un- unapologetic nostalgia trip that is lovingly edited. Um, it got, has a lot of you know. Uh, terrific interviews throughout the movie. Uh, Bo Derek still looks great. Um, <laughs> she's got some. She's got some interesting uh, stuff to say in the movie. Um, Bolero is of course talking about in the film. Um, Notable for yeah. seeing uh, Kevin Arnold's sister naked in that as well. <laughs> Who is uh, Kevin? O- Olivia I, Diabo. Oh, Olivia Diabo. Yes, yeah. Olivia Diabo is. I believe. Yeah, she's. Uh, yeah, she's interviewed briefly. In the film, she's been naked in a few other things. But uh, what what are your some? Do you, can you off the top of your head some of your favorite canon films? Ooh, better? um, I have man. mine. I have mine, and they thankfully they go into it and lovingly de- lovingly detailed. Yeah, I wow, I I have a soft spot for Invasion USA and Cobra. 
Um, Runaway Train's amazing. That's a great movie. That's an, and then that's another period of canon. That that it was like right before they hit the the money the money train, if if you will, yeah. where they they sort of they sort of imploded. There was this period where they were actually producing stuff like Runaway Train and mm-hmm. Barfly right. and stuff and these like movies that were like getting like general critical acclaim, and some of them were you know were kind of dismissed because they were under the canon label. Like there, people talk about in the movies. Like if Runaway Train was released by a major studio, it would be considered an absolute classic, hmm. like an all-time type classic. Um, so you have that period. Was Cobra? I mean, Cobra was released by Warner Brothers. I thought. Hmm. Let me see. I was looking at a list here. Maybe it was. Yeah, I guess it was distributed by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they got a small production, but they, yeah, Cobra isn't mentioned in the movie. Uh, over the top <laughs> is. Uh, quite a bit. Um, you know what's but, weird uh, is that um, two to- two Toby Hooper movies came out the same summer. That's weird. Texas, <laughs> that's ever happened uh, before. Um, Invaders from Mars and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two both no, came out in the summer of '86. Yeah, there's a lot of Toby Hooper. In I bet. There's there are those two, and of course, Life Force mm-hmm. uh, is talked about quite a bit. Um, and Toby Hooper is interviewed, and uh, again they, they talk about how Texas Chainsaw was kind of misunderstood at the time, uh, and uh, yeah, Invaders from Mars. Uh, there's a really funny story about Invaders from Mars, oh, uh, and, and there's a I, I don't I oh, I'm drawing a blank on what the, the name of the movie is, but there is this whole series that I guess Canon put out that had uh, David Mendenhall, who was in Over the Top. This was before Over the Top, where it was like him and uh, uh, a mo- it was like a, uh, gonna be a monkey series, okay? <laughs> and there's actually a story about how Menahem Golan uh, was pitching the movie to Clyde from Every Which Way But Loose. Oh my! Oh, the, the sto- that story <laughs> is so funny, and it's only half as funny as when you see the footage of the actual movie that they ended up making, because they ended up taking a little person and, and putting them in an ape costume. Oh my god, that's insane! And I need to see these movies now. <laughs> uh, my favorite canon movie, by the way, is Ninja Three: The Domination. Oh yeah, of that's course. you know I was, a, mm-hmm. I was a Lucinda Dickey fan, still am. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ninja Three, uh, which I I still qualify as actually Breaking Three technically. There's more Breaking Three than it's what happened to Kelly. Right. Breaking, that's that's my assertion. But anyway. Uh, but yeah, Ninja Three very very much talked about and uh, how the the Breaking cast didn't really get along, um, and how uh, Turbo cried when he saw Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo because <laughs> it lost the gritty feel of the first one. Well, Canon actually put out a Cassavetes movie. That's yes, nuts. Love Streams. Wow. Yeah, another, <laughs> that was that's another one. That, yeah, that's talked about uh, some really weird stuff in there, but all done with uh, a great deal of affection. Uh, a really funny documentary. Uh, one to absolutely look, you know, if you, you you lived through the '80s and you were a film nut, this this movie you have to see. Excellent. Well, um, I was hoping to end on the new David Gordon Green movie, but I don't see it on your list. Did not see it. Damn. Heard okay. bad things. And I've heard pretty good things. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm on board for whatever that guy does. Sure. You know, sure. And him working with Al Pacino and Holly Hunter? I know. It was on my list. And then all of a sudden, people started going, no. Hmm. 
No, and it just I it was either that or see uh, what did I see? I saw the the theory of everything instead. Yeah. I'm looking so, forward yeah, to that. I'm sure that's exact. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So, um, Bill Murray as another misanthrope. Mm-hmm. I'm there. Sold. <laughs> yeah, you don't really need much more than yeah. that, do you? I mean, nope. it's it's a story. We're talking about St. Vincent, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, <clears throat> and it's a story we've seen so many times before. The old grump on the block meets, you know, the adorable child becomes, you know, pulls out the humanity from him. Um, you know, that's the, the story we've seen a million times. Uh, how good is it? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and, you know, uh, Bill, Bill Murray is, you know, always watchable, as, as he is in this movie. He's, he's very funny. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, uh, uh, as the boy's mother, uh, tones it down in a way that she hasn't done on screen probably ever. Um, and uh, the the boy, uh, I don't have his name in front of me right now, but the boy is really quite good in the oh, movie. Good. It's not just it's not just sort of this another cloying child performance. Um, it's he, the the kid is really good. Uh, Naomi Watts uh, is funny as the Russian prostitute that is is you know is a friend of Vincent's. Uh, Chris O'Dowd is funny as the 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 the, the priest the, the who teaches uh, at the school where the boy goes. Um. Again, plot-wise, very familiar. It works because of the actors. Um, Sounds I, I, like it could be a Tom McCarthy movie. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Um, I, I admit the the ending uh, did get to me, mm-hmm. um, and, and part of me because I've I, I think I at that point I saw more Bill Murray than even Vincent. You know mm. that I just I was just like you know this is sort of the ovation that Murray deserves. Kind of thing by the end of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't want. I don't get. I don't want to spoil too much. Uh, but the film and and I walked out of the movie and I'm just like, okay, I like the movie. And I was there for the standing ovation that Bill Murray got. Okay, <laughs> so he was he was there, and of course he got a standing ovation. It was the end of Bill Murray Day. Of course he's going to get a standing ovation. Uh, but he's Bill Murray. He deserves one anytime he walks into a room. As far as I'm concerned, absolutely. So that I have no problem with that. But I'm walk. I'm, I leave the theater. And I'm just like, okay, I like that. I'm pretty sure I like that. I, you know, and but the more I thought about it, and I'm still liking it. I'm not Breaking Bad on the movie, but it really the sort of the arc of the Vincent character, the sort of the backstory of the Vincent character, the film it that it hit me as I was walking back to my hotel. The movie that it really reminded me a lot of, and probably doesn't do St. Vincent any service by making a comparison to this movie. But the movie I'm talking about is Nebraska. Really? Okay. Yeah, and then at the same, the Vincent's character is very much in a sort of the mold of Bruce Stern's character from Nebraska, in a way, in that there is obviously a lot more to him than what you know Will, his son Will Forte saw in him. It's sort of that that that's, that discovery period that Will Forte has throughout the movie, where uh, the the more you you learn about Dern, the more you realize what a sort of a generous, giving person he is. Hmm. Um, and obviously that, that movie has so much more going on than, you know, just the standard road trip type stuff. Uh, but that's what, what this movie, St. Vincent, really reminded me about. The, 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 the stuff that they give uh, as a backstory to Vincent, uh, some of the things he does throughout the movie. And Murray's very good. I, I don't, again, I do not want to dim- diminish Bill Murray's performance. Some people 
Uh, I want to say it's the best thing he's done since Lost in Translation. Eh, Broken Flowers, I think he's a, a bit better. In oh, Man. yeah. forgot about uh, that one. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, no, but he's, you know, again, it's Bill Murray, for God's right. sake. And, you know, it, it's, it, but you, you do get the sense that as good as he is, it's a role that he can do in his sleep. You know, he's not exactly pushing himself too much in a role like this, but he does get, has, you know, he has good dramatic beats. He's obviously got the, got the comic beats down cold. Um, I like the movie. Don't love it. I don't think he's going to get an Oscar nomination. Probably a lock for a Golden Globe. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a crowd pleaser. There's no doubt about it. It is an absolute crowd pleaser. Uh, and if that's, you know, if that's what it takes to make a Bill Murray movie a hit, I'm, I'm fine with that. Terrific. Yeah, I'm... I saw the trailer for it and it did look, you know, familiar just in terms of like, uh, you know, grumpy old man uh, bonds with a kid and, you know, they they sort of help each other. Right. And that's that's not a tired storyline for me when it's done well. So, no. um, yeah, and obviously I'll watch anything Bill Murray does, so, yeah. except I'd never watched him play uh, Roosevelt. <laughs> oh, don't watch that. No. Don't ever watch that. No, I, I never I never just. Never watched that, and I never watched Jay Edgar. I just said, nope, don't ever need to see either of those movies. <laughs> Bill Murray and Jay Edgar? No, no. Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, like, I just mean like... like did, I, in terms did I hate that movie so much that I miss Bill Murray in that? Like, <laughs> no, just in terms of biopics oh. that got like really bad reviews. Yeah, yeah, don't ever watch that either. Yeah, I won't. Um, you got to get going here pretty soon, but... Um, I'm on I, your dime now, right now, my friend. What was that? I'm on your dime right now, so whatever I you want to do. I kind of want to just end on one final title, just okay. because possibly my favorite actor working today is uh, in this movie called 99 Homes. Mm, yes. And that's Mr. Michael Shannon. Um, yes. And this, it just, it just sounds like something I'm going to dig. Um, and I'm not familiar with the, wait a minute, this director here. Oh yeah, this is okay. Well, this 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 would have been uh-huh. a movie that Roger would have probably championed because he uh, loved. Yes, yeah, this, loved this would, his work. <laughs> yeah, this would probably would have gotten four stars. From <laughs> um, but uh, the director we're talking about is Ramin Barani, right? Um, who uh, had a really great friendship with Roger. Roger was a great supporter of his work, and uh, for, for for good reason. I mean, yeah. Man, Man Push Cart, <clears throat> I think, is a terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chop Shop is, is quite good. Uh, Goodbye Solo is 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 a good movie. Yeah. The only movie of his I'm not a uh, big fan of was the last one he did at any price with Dennis Quaid and Zac Efron. I thought that movie oh. was a bit forced and more promised land, like mm-hmm. the Van Sant movie. Mm-hmm. It was a little, but even a little more melodramatic and unrealistic. Um, that one, that one, that one was one that seemed to get away from him a little bit. But whatever he might have tried to do with that movie, uh, he does to really beautiful effect. In 99 Homes. Um, and 99 Homes was the last movie I saw at the festival, actually. And uh, it's, it's set during the, the 2008 uh, foreclosure crisis in this country. And uh, Andrew Garfield plays um, a construction worker, a single dad, um, who lives uh, with uh, his son and his mom, uh, again, played by Laura Dern, <laughs> uh, who uh, does, she has a business out of their, their family home. And, uh, you know, construction work, uh, you know, is the kind of thing, you know, you work for two weeks and then they show up and say, we're shutting it down and you're not getting paid. So two weeks down the drain and no money to show for it. And uh, next thing you know, he's got appointments at the bank and his house is being foreclosed upon. 
Um, and so you have this really early, uncomfortable scene of watching this family being evicted from their house. You know, cops are at the front door. The you know the representative of the bank is there, uh, and a real uh, real estate agent, uh, realtor played by Michael Shannon, uh, an incredibly ruthless <laughs> realtor uh, who sort of relishes these moments and he's sort of basically the guy that's sort of taking advantage of the system that's out there hmm. he's not necessarily going to you know going against the law he's uh he's sort of the in in, in a way sort of the gordon gecko of you know the, the foreclosure crisis in a way is that he's working within the the rules that have been set up and he's gonna take advantage of them like he says in the movie he's like only one in 100 are going to get on that arc and not drown and he's going to be that one guy. Um, and so after Garfield's family is evicted, uh, Garfield ends up finding his way back to uh, Shannon's character uh, and begins to work for him, uh, first as uh, part, of, part of his construction crew, uh, and then slowly sort of learning the business, almost in like a Wall Street kind of way, uh, where he becomes the guy that is going to evict people from their houses. Oh. And so he so he goes from you know the the guy that gets evicted to the guy that starts doing the evictions, uh, and finds that there's a lot of money to be made in this. Um, mm. you know working within the rules. You know I mean people who don't pay get evicted. That's just the way it goes. And someone's got to be there when you know the, the the music stops to pull you know to sit down in the chair. And these are the guys that do it. Um, and th- I mean, Ramin Barani's films, <clears throat> if you're, you know, you're obviously you're familiar with them, you know, have, you know, have all had the sort of that, the real sort of leisurely pace. They're very, they're sure. kind of slice, slices of life and not really, you know, you know, very, you know, paced in a very sort of deliberate kind of way. Just almost like um, almost a documentary type feel to them. Yeah. Very um, humanistic <clears throat> and intimate. Absolutely. Um, uh, this film is paced like a thriller. Wow, uh, and it it completely took me by surprise. Even after someone told me as such that this movie has a sort of a slam bang pace to it, um, the first hour for certain moves like a sh- shotgun cannon. It just moves and moves, and it's uncomfortable, and it it builds. Uh, and Garfield is is just terrific, and as terrific as Garfield is, Shannon is even better. Shannon, oh man, my man, Shannon just kind of just owns. This movie, not you know, fucking the, great. The, I hate, I hate, I hate to even use that word compared, you know, with an eviction movie. But he does kind of own, <laughs> <laughs> own this movie. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, one second. <coughs> Talking too fast. Um, it's it, it's a movie that I think that whenever it gets released, he's going to have a shot at a supporting actor nomination oh, nice um and there was some t- R- Barani i think wanted the film to get out this year for the oscar race um and they were sort of waiting for after toronto to get uh the, the distribution into place and it was picked up by some small little company that i was not even familiar with and i guess they're going to release the film in the spring i don't mm. know if that's the the best strategy for you know oscar baiting and whatnot uh but uh it, it would be unfortunate if this film got completely lost because this film Again, it, it really it moves it, it, it moves uh, like a thriller. Uh, audiences will really respond to it. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the emotionality of it uh, and the, the suspense in the movie really well handled. <clears throat> Thank God, I'm excited now. <laughs> yeah, this is. Um, yeah. It sounds like it's got a, a nice blend of you know, 
social commentary and um, again the humanistic dr- drama that this director captures very organically too. But I mean, it, I love it. I love it when it's paced well. Even something I know you weren't a big fan of Oculus, but oh god, no! The editing in that movie. Sucked. Sold it for me. Sucked. I, I loved Everything it. Everything about that movie sucked. <laughs> about that. Succulous is what that movie should be called. Mm. Uh, my, my least favorite film of last year is Toronto Film Festival. Um, but, <laughs> but back to 99 Homes. Um, no, the, 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 the pace of the movie, I mean, even like the score has a sort of this boom, 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 boom. Like it's really just, hmm. you know, it has a sort of almost like a nightcrawler like pace to it um, in, in the presentation of how he, the, 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 the buildup of uh, the suspense of you know what the sh- Shannon's business and Garfield's journey, uh, you know, so this is the sort of the deal with the devil that he makes. I will say that <clears throat> the third act leaves a little bit to be desired. Hmm. Is that the the third act does? I, I do have some major quibbles with the third act. A few sort of unconvincing turns and some things that seem to be more screenplayish. You know, sort of, you know, a way to sort of resolve things. Drama for yeah. drama's sake. Exactly, exactly. And it just, it didn't seem like mm. characters would make the decisions that they make at the, at the times that they make them. Um, and as the movie sort of like tries to move itself in, you know, to its final moments. Um, and it kind of does so in a kind of unconvincing kind of way. Uh, but that being said, Everything else about the movie is really terrific. The performances are great. Uh, the screenplay is, is solid up to that point. Um, and like I said, the first two-thirds of the movie move like a thunderbolt. Uh, and so this is a really a real big surprise for me to, to see Barani take these sort of steps uh, as a director. It's, uh, really, it it would have been nice to see Roger uh, yeah. see, see this kind of growth because I really think he – I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain he probably would have given it four stars. Yeah, well, it sounds it sounds like you had a great experience overall, for sure. I mean, it, a lot of these movies, to me, I mean, it sounds like a showcase for great actors doing mm-hmm. great work too. Um, and you know, some unexpected turns as well. I uh, I think you know something like Spring just sounds wholly original, and uh, you know, it's not something I was expecting to to be at number one on, on your list, but. Me neither. <laughs> um, and that's uh, that's really given me impetus to uh, seek it out when it comes out, and I hope other people will do the same. There's lots of good stuff to look forward to, and we've yet to bear witness yeah. to the new Paul <clears throat> Thomas Anderson movie. I just have and, to get that in every and the new episode. Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh? careful. Yeah. Um, no, I'm uh, excited. No, I was. I'll say about you know, uh, you know, with festivals, you know, when you talk about like the idea of discovery and whatnot, and people sort of, you know, they first they ask me how many movies I saw. I tell them they go, "You're crazy," uh, <laughs> and then they, you know, they like, "Well, how many did you like?" And I say, "Well, this number," and they go, "Like, ooh, then you must have had a really bad festival." Well, no, not necessarily because mm-hmm. any good or great movie, you know, just. Is like three times the appeal that one bad movie has. Like right. one bad movie, you go oh, like two hours and then like oh that just really stank. Uh, but then you go into something like Nightcrawler or Mommy or Spring or Foxcatcher uh, or even Wild, and movie- it makes it all worth it. Yeah, or even something like It Follows um, or you know Electric Boogaloo. You just go in and have a good time. Like those those out ninety hundred twenty minutes movies, whatever they are, it's like five times better 
than the worst experiences that you could possibly have at any festival. So, you know, four, 14 good movies is like 28, 40, or 42 good movies compared to 25 bad ones. So that's, that's the way every festival goes for me. It might not be an even keel of, you know, three star and above or lower and that kind of stuff, uh, but it's always the, the idea of discovery. Uh, and, you know, one spring is worth, you know, a hundred men and women when men, women and children. <laughs> Although I'll never watch that movie a second time. Right. Well, that's see, that's a good endorsement just for the festival experience as a whole, and it's something that obviously is a huge movie freak. I hope to have soon. Yes. Um, you know, I've I've done little bits here and there. You know, South by Southwest, and obviously Chicago International Film Festival. But something like the, the experience of sitting through three or four movies in a day. I'd be up for that, just for once in my life, just to have that. And especially if I know a lot of, you know, directors have something new to look forward to there, then I, I'm probably going to sign up in the next couple of years for that. But, yeah, no, thanks a lot, Eric. It was a really great um, preview of a lot of stuff we can look forward to soon enough, whether it comes out in the fall or a lot of, a lot of indie movies, too, tend to come out on VOD these days. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll... Yeah. A Keep few of these, there. yeah, a few of these probably will. I know it. You know, a couple of them are picked up by Weinstein's Radius Company, so like it follows. Will you know most likely be video on demand. Uh, maybe you know a couple others. We don't know about Electric Boogaloo yet, uh, but that seems like a possible candidate as well. Uh, but no, I mean, there's, I mean, it, it, it's kind of insane just how <laughs> many movies are out there these days. It's just, it's, it's really just, it kind of boggles the mind. Yeah. It's hard to parse through, too, when you're looking at Amazon Instant, Netflix, iTunes, yeah. you know? So right. You spend like 20 minutes trying to decide what you want to watch. Right. But, um, yeah, no, thanks, man. It was really great catching up and hearing about uh, Toronto once again. Um, where can people read more of your work and uh, hear you on the radio as well? Oh, uh, well, uh, you can hear me with uh, Nick DiGilio, obviously, on WGN Radio. Um, you can hear me with the uh, new reviews uh, every week now, also uh, not just on Nick's show, but on Gary Meyer's show on nice. WGN uh, FM every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm all television, WCIU's uh, first business, 5.30 in the morning on Thursdays. Uh, you can catch me there. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I want to get, you know, some more writing done for e-film critic it's just it's you know there's only 24 hours i need about 49 <laughs> uh, unfortunately per day um it's just a lot a lot, a lot of uh, these uh gigs have taken up a lot of my time and uh fortunately it's forced my writing to go to, to areas that you have to you can't get instantly let's just say that um but that's okay so because we got shows you know podcasts like yours that allow me to come on and talk an hour and a half about movies with you and uh you know, I hope that people will take some of these recommendations and, uh, you know, especially Spring and some of these others and really look forward to them. Oh, I know they will. And uh, people can obviously keep up with you on Twitter as well. Yes, Eric the Movie Man on Twitter, Eric with a K, uh, the only way to spell Eric. Um, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, James Eric. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can find me there and I'm also on Facebook as well. You have to apologize to Eric Clapton, too. I know, he's a genius. Yeah. Nah, not so much later years, but anyway, um, like I said earlier at the top of the show, we're going to be, um, I mean, the Nicholas Rogue episode has taken a little longer to edit, which is kind of funny. Um, 
seeing as how his editing style is very frantic and manic. Um, and we'll be putting out the Wes Anderson episode probably within the next, uh, I'd say, two weeks since we're recording next week. But that's going to be a really fun discussion because for some reason Patrick doesn't like Royal Tenenbaums, and I don't know why that is. You I'm mean the scared. best Wes Anderson movie? Huh? The best Wes Anderson yes. movie he doesn't like? Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 always torn. Like when I'm watching Rushmore, I'm like that's my favorite. When I'm watching Real Tenenbaums, that's my favorite. And I I don't want to get into the Rushmore conversation with you. Well, can, <laughs> well, can I can I can I end on a positive note? Please. With you? Okay, I watched Rushmore on cable a few weeks, maybe a month ago, three four weeks ago. I like it more. Good. Okay. Yes. I, I don't I don't think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, but I and I I think Max Fisher is still kind of a despicable character. But yeah. I. I, I, I responded a lot more to Bill Murray's character that this sure. time, and I've I've seen the movie before. I've never. I always thought that you know. I think one of the things that's helped my I want to say maybe appreciation is too big a word, um, but that where I am now on the movie is that there have been so many movies that have sort of tried to do tried to pull off its style mm-hmm. over the years, not in including Wes Anderson, um, and a lot of them have failed so miserably. And I thought, and it was a it was a style that kind of bothered me then, um, and now I've gotten kind of used to it. Sure. So I don't really sort of hold that sort of that same criticism over it that I had so many years ago. Um, and I still don't think it's a masterpiece, but I, I liked it more and would be willing to watch it again and again. Good. That's just I don't know. First time I saw, I remember that was uh, one of the first years. You know, that was that might have been the first year that Nick had his solo show was 98 mm. and uh calling in uh giving my top 10 and you know i hadn't seen rushmore or a simple plan um and he had and he was just like well i guarantee that this is going to be your number one and number two and that's huh. right there you go <laughs> yeah just rewatch simple plan too god i love that movie you know that's so a much. movie i i it's hard for me to watch that movie yeah, that's one of that's one of those movies because I find that movie so utterly depressing <laughs> that I I feel awful every time I watch the movie. Yeah, I, I love it. I think I think it's I mean I think it's fantastic, uh, but it's goddamn if it's not hard for me to watch. Indeed, and I'm after, it's funny because like after uh, True Detective and then rewatching Simple Plan, I'm like I really need to rewatch Frailty. It's been <laughs> years. Frail now Frailty. I've watched that. That's that holds up. Yeah, that I bet holds up beautifully. Well, thanks a lot, man. It's great talking with you once again, and we'll do it again soon, I'm sure. Awesome. I hope hope so. Down.